This is a production of Dirty Mo Media. celebrate and well they should they have done their job they have put their driver in the winner's circle here this afternoon hey what's up this is rick houston with another glorious white knuckle god fearing spun out and half turned over racing story mark martin maintains his points lead in winston cup competition winning this race here today enjoy the ride Steve Mill broke into NASCAR with Petty Enterprises in the 1970s before working with Terry Labonte and Hagen Racing on the way to the 1984 Winston Cup Championship. And when Roush Racing got its start in NASCAR, Steve was right there at the very beginning as team manager. Nobody knew quite what to make of the team when it burst onto the NASCAR scene at the start of the 1988 Winston Cup season. Less than three laps to go as the Vultures crew looks on with their fingers crossed, hoping that their driver can pull out another victory. Mark Martin was the driver, and he had struggled to make a name for himself at the cup level in the early 1980s. But who was this Jack Roush character? He was already successful in Trans Am and IMSA Camel GT road racing competition, but stock car racing is a much different beast. What did Jack Roush know about that? Steve Mill remembers that this was a team on the move. Has moved through traffic. He has picked off his competitors. He took the lead from Dale Earnhardt a few laps ago. And now Mark Martin has less than a lap to go before he can claim victory. Brings the Bulgers forward off the fourth corner. And Mark Martin wins the... We had challenged a lot. And fortunately, we won one, and we actually went to Atlanta with a. We were the top three in points and had a chance to ultimately win the championship, yeah. which we we blew up about halfway through the race. But anyway, it was like, man, these guys were 15th in points and really didn't do a lot last year. Now they're third. Well, that also got the ears up of the competitors, and they were nervous about us getting in their backyard. Some people still thought we raced out of Michigan. And they're like, boy, a bunch of Yankees coming down and whipping us. This isn't going to work. And these guys are really starting to roll along, which is has a lot to do with what happened at Richmond the following spring. Ah, Richmond. The following spring. The second race of the young 1990 season. Even now, more than 31 years later, it's enough to spark debate amongst those with even a passing interest in NASCAR history. Almost always, the discussion basically falls into one of two camps. Dale Earnhardt fans insist that Roush Racing got caught cheating and should have suffered the consequences. On the other hand, Mark Martin fans counter that even though Roush Racing might have been caught with his hands in the cookie jar a little bit at Richmond, the punishment did not fit the crime. Without that 46-point penalty, Mark Martin, and not... Dell Earnhardt is the 1990 Winston Cup champion. And the thing is, both sides might have a point. Whatever the case might actually have been, the incident would have a substantial impact on Roush Racing for more than a year afterward. According to Steve Mill, this is what happened. Well, it actually started at Daytona. Oh, really? Do tell. 
We went through the templates, and at the time they didn't have the little blocks and all yeah. the things to be, you know, go, no, go, gauge kind of thing. It was Buster, and Buster would say, yeah, your name. But we go through the templates, and they throw the overall up on the car, and I about threw up. I mean, it missed the back of the roof an inch, which is exactly opposite of what you would do because you don't want more yeah. air attaching yeah. to the roof and going down and hitting the spoiler. You want, you know, you kind of puff the back of the roof up. And I'm like, I said, man, I swear. And Jack's like, what is that all about? And I said, Jack, I, I swear to you, man, I... It, it wasn't like that at the shop. I mean, and it, this went on for a day while we're fixing it. Robin Pemberton was Mark's crew chief at the time. And let's just say that Steve discovered, at least when it came to Daytona's issues, Robin did it. Well, finally I heard that Robin and the guys, while I wasn't there, had lowered the back of the roof at the shop. Okay, you know, Robin's a good hard racer. He's doing what all he can do. It was at that point that Jack Roush decided to take matters into his own hands. He stationed himself in NASCAR's inspection area and carefully watched as each team rolled through to get the thumbs up or the thumbs down. So, was that the way to win friends and influence people? That's a good question. Well, Jack got so frustrated with the fact that there wasn't a go-no-gauge kind of thing and Buster was, could put an eye on something to tell you was right or not right, that Jack took the job of going and standing in, in, the, in the room of doom and watching every car go through the templates. Well, that made NASCAR and Dick Beatty mad. You know, what are you doing? I'm seeing. I'm, I'm going to see what we got going. So they're nervous about us running too good. Did the wrong thing and got caught. And instead of just quietly fixing the problem, we kind of showed our butts by standing around and watching with your arms crossed and also I put that on a couple of people but anyway it's all okay the team had been successful in 1989 and was now considered a threat then Jack Roush figures he's gonna keep an eye on things during inspection at Daytona the fuse was lit going into Richmond but first every team had to figure out how to survive such exceedingly cold temperatures not just Roush Racing. Fifteen minutes before the start of the race, the temperature was a sub-freezing 31 degrees, and with winds whipping through the stands and infield at 20 miles an hour, that dropped the wind chill to a balmy 5 degrees. With you live at Richmond, Virginia, waiting on the start. 32 degrees here today. Those pistons and those rods are about as tender as a robin's wing as they try to get these cars ready to go. And it is letter perfect for ice skating. Let's see what it's going to be for racing this afternoon. As Ricky Rudd, Waddell Wilson prepared car, leads them down the line. Mark qualified sixth but did not lead the event until lap 385, just 16 laps from the end. Good battle developing for second once again. Here is Mark Martin using the bottom of the racetrack. Earnhardt falls to third, 24 laps to go. It's building for a finish. It was so cold. You guys remember, I know you did. It was incredibly cold. And and Jack said, I'm nervous about the intake air. He said, tape the cowl shut. I was like, okay, that's what we'll do. So we taped the cowl shut. And almost got lapped. I mean, it would not run. 
He said, what do you think it is? I said, we got to open the cow. He said, no, no, I did this for you. So there's another time where I'm saying something and yeah. Jack is positive. Yeah. You know? We almost got lapped and uh, went about, tore the tape off, came flying up through the rim really well. And there's a pit stop with so many laps to go. And I think we got two tires and we got away from them and won the race. Friendships are over. Final laps. The money's down. It's at stake. Getting a quick jump. It's car number six. Mark Martin is out in front. Mark Martin has won his second Winston Cup race. He brought it home. He put it to work hard when he needed to. And they are successful. The Jack Roush team takes their second career victory. After the race, most who were there that day, fans, drivers, pit crews, track and NASCAR officials, media, whoever, wanted nothing more than to go find somewhere warm to thaw out. History, however, (laughs) had something else in mind. Now, there's always been a Ford versus Chevrolet rivalry. Mark Martin and Dale Earnhardt were friendly enough, but they were still competitors on the racetrack. After Richmond, a new conflict was about to be born. Richard Childress, Chevrolet's flagship car owner, versus Jack Roush, new to the world of NASCAR, but a long-time Ford stalwart. Everybody's happy. It's freezing cold. Just get us out of here. So we're, as we're rolling the car into the garage to be torn down, we open the hood, and here comes Richard Childress from behind me. Not at a run, but in a rush. And he goes, it's right there, and points at something under the hood. And NASCAR comes and says, all y'all got to leave. Where's Jack? Holy cow, oh, man. Yeah, so we're like, I'm like, <laughs> what's going on? The hardest part was the waiting. But this was not the happy, expectant kind of waiting that children and big kids like me have in the days and weeks leading up to Christmas. This was waiting for the hammer to fall. And it was about to fall hard. We all leave and go out in the truck. And we're just sitting. They said, don't come back in the garage until we call you. And a little while later, Jack comes in the trailer and he said, well... I figured in my NASCAR career, sometime I'd get caught for cheating, but not for something as stupid as this. I said, what happened, Jack? He said, it's that spacer Robin told me to make. I said, what spacer Robin told you to make? He said, I made an inch and a half spacer and brought it to Robin so we could get the air cleaner close to the hood so the cow would work better. And I looked at Robin and said, Robin, that heaven? He said, yeah. He said, you know how Jack is? And he's beating on me about making sure we got all the horsepower we can get because Jack's Engines were getting kicked in the teeth quite a bit at that time. He didn't really have his stock car legs under him. So, you know, Jack was pushing for every little detail. And rather than raise the engine or whatever, make a new cow, Robin called Jack. Jack went to his zillion-dollar machine shop up there that does incredible work and had him make an inch-and-a-half spacer. Jack brings it down on the airplane, hands it to Robin. Robin puts it on. I I don't know anything about it. And Richard obviously knew it. So we had been through inspection when we got there, inspection for qualifying, inspection for the race. Nobody said a word. It's got a seal on it. Race is over. We're in big trouble. Before the team ever left the racetrack that day, Roush Racing had been hit with the biggest penalty in NASCAR history to that point. 
Mark Martin won his second Winston Cup race, but then was fined and penalized for having an illegal spacer plane in the engine. What Mark Martin's team did last weekend was perhaps within the spirit of the rules, but outside the letter of the rules. And the letter of the rules says you cannot bolt on any bigger than a two-inch spacer. The $40,000 fine was steep, but the points that were deducted would come into play in a much bigger way at the end of the year. I'll never forget Les Richter called me in the deal, and he said, here's what we're going to do. The 46 points was based on the fact they made, I think they made us the last car on the lead lap. And uh, I said, yeah, I hate that point thing. I said, I'd much rather pay money. He said, oh, good as you guys are running right now, just beat them by more than 46 points. I said, okay. All right, here's the thing. Mark Martin, Steve Mill, Jack Roush, and the rest of their team went on to have a great 1990 season following the Richmond debacle. Mark went to the top of the point standings following a second-place finish in early June at Sears Point and then maintained the lead throughout the rest of the summer and on into the fall. But then, during a round of yellow flag pit stops on lap 101 in the fall at Charlotte, Ernie Irvin and Alan Kowicki got together on pit road and Irvin spun into the back of Dale Earnhardt's car. An incident on pit road involving Ernie Irvin's number four and I believe the three car was also in this. Tire changer Will Lind and catch can man Bobby Moody were forced to scatter. Smith, the rest of the crew looking at that right rear corner. What a blow this could be to Dale Earnhardt. Just a few laps later, Dale collided with the fourth turn wall to bring out another caution. Earnhardt in the wall up in turn four. Something broke. I think he caught a tire the way that happened. He may have been tagged, but he has slapped the wall, and there lies number three in the center of the track. After stopping to repair damage from the mishap, the famous black number three Chevrolet lost a left rear tire as it left pit road. Dale was stranded on the apron of turn one, but rather than wait to be loaded onto the wrecker and brought back around, his crew ran out to where he was and replaced the missing tire. A wheel is falling off number three and the tire's rolling through turn one. The tire is still rolling down through turns one and two, Fred. It's in the grass. Well, here you see the children's crew coming out with two tires, but already they brought a service truck to pick him up. What's the rules here, gentlemen? That's going to be the question. All the pit work is supposed to be done in the pit. With a championship on the line, this will be interesting. That didn't sit well with Steve Mill. I will forever be frustrated with the fact that Dale left pit road with his left side lug nuts loose and the tires fell off and they could run down there to the end of pit road. At and, Charlotte. At Charlotte yeah. and, and put them on. I'm like, that's unheard of, you know. And they were smart enough to know that if they waited on a record to tow them around, they'd be three laps down even right. under caution. You know, but I was, I was screaming like, what's going on? Dale's problems that day widened Mark's lead in the standings from 16 to 49 points. But the gap could have been even bigger than that. Disaster struck for Roush Racing at Phoenix in the next-to-last race of the season. And then, Mark made an unscheduled stop for four fresh tires during a caution with less than 20 laps to go. He restarted the race in 12th place, and was then caught up in an accident on the restart. Coming to the checkered flag, Mark dove headlong into a cloud of smoke 
in a desperate attempt to pick up a couple of positions. It didn't work, and he crashed in turn one on what should have been his cool-down lap. Terry Labonte blew an engine across the start-finish line as he got the white flag. And Dale Earnhardt will come out of turn four and take the checkered flag to win the Checker 500 at Earnhardt's Goodrich Crew celebrating. There's Richard Childress. Mark Martin crashes down in turn one. But they had got their checkered flag already, and he ran down there. And they, there was nothing but smoke and sun in front of those drivers after Terry Labonte blew, and Mark Martin was trying to pass a car for a position to get across the start-finish line. Going into the Phoenix event, Mark had held a 45-point lead. Del Earnhardt won the race, while Mark was credited with a 10th-place finish. With only the season finale at Atlanta remaining, Mark trailed Dale by six points. The championship was anybody's to win or to lose. It just didn't turn out for us today. You know, we uh, that kind of cost us, but we're just going to have to take the Folgers, Valvoline, Thunderbird to, to Atlanta and outrun them guys. I mean... Well, you do take over the points league, I believe, now. Heading into Atlanta, got to feel good about that. That's great. You know, we sort of forced the issue. We put the pressure back on Mark. During the two-week break between Phoenix and Atlanta, Roush Racing might have overthought the situation. A three-day test was scheduled at Atlanta, and it threw everything at the warm-up session, up to and including the kitchen sink we took like seven cars of ours to test at atlanta <laughs> did you nuts. really one was a new ford design chassis which svo was very proud of and it was a really nice little car but it was built by engineers and like it, it, it took a long time to get the engine in and out it, you almost couldn't get the oil tank out of it you know I mean, nice little race car but but we took it down there and tested and tested and tested and tested and there's this story out there that they put four lefts on the three car and they were three seconds faster than us. No, that, that, none of that's true. They were faster than us, and they did go home early. During the test, Mark somehow managed to find himself in one of Davey Allison's cars. Afterward, Mark made it known that he wanted the engine in Davey's Robert Yates Racing Ford. He not only got the engine, he got the whole dang car. Late in the afternoon of the second day, Robert Yates' truck came in from Phoenix, and they unloaded the spare car or the race car, I'm not sure. And they were quite good right out of the truck. And for some reason, Mark got in it and drove it and was faster than any of our cars. And he said, I need that engine. I thought, oh, boy, this isn't good, because the, you know, the Jack Roush-Robert Yates thing was really tough at that time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, I said, ah, it's probably not going to work out. He said, nah, that's what I want. Well, it's the last day of the test, and we all let up and go home. Well, Jack calls the next day. He said, uh, I need you to go down there and get that car. I said, what car? He said, the one at Roberts. <laughs> he said, you can get it Friday, <laughs> which is the Friday. Good night. A week before Atlanta. He said, you got to paint it, and you, 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 know, you guys do what you need to do to it. And he said, it's got an engine. In it. It'll have an engine in it. And I said, well, I thought we were just getting an engine. He said, if you get the engine, you get the car. No, no was this a purchase or a borrowed? No, we borrowed it. Okay. We it. So I went down. So nobody else was involved. Took a dually in a trailer. Norman, the mayor, helped me load it. Everything. Robert and those guys were gracious as can be. Here's what you need. Try this. Do this. Do this. You know, load it up. Took it home. Did body work and painted it over the weekend. Starting to put it together on Monday morning. 
for the final time of 1990, 41 cars fired to life as we get set to bring you live coverage of the Atlanta Journal 500 from Atlanta Motor Speedway. Dale Earnhardt from Kannapolis, North Carolina, and the Richard Childress crew are about to win the Winston Cup Championship and all the prestige and the million dollars that goes with it. Here's the checkered flag. Morgan Shepard wins. Jeff Bodine crosses in second. Dale Earnhardt finishes third and wins the Winston Cup. He becomes only the second driver to win the championship more than three times. And Mark Martin is going to finish this race in fifth position. Mark Martin qualified a so-so 11th and finished sixth at Atlanta. And Dale Earnhardt's third place finish gave him a 26-point margin of victory in the championship battle. It was the fourth Winston Cup title of Dale Earnhardt's career. While on the other hand, it was the closest Mark Martin would ever get to claiming the sport's biggest prize. Well, Mark sitting solemnly and quietly on the back of the Folgers Ford had carried him so many times this year, Mark, a gallon effort. Well, it really was. And I want to, first of all, thank all the race fans that have rallied behind us. And they've really been supportive of us this year. It's uh, it's unbelievable. And obviously, Ford and, and uh, Folgers and Valvoline and Jack Roush, Steve and all the guys. It's been a great year. Uh, it's tough. You know, it's a tough one to lose. We got beat by the best. And, uh, I mean, that Dale Earnhardt's been sitting behind the wheel of the best race cars he's ever sat down in this year. He was going to be tough to tangle with. We gave him all he could stand, and we'll be stronger next year. Disappointment set in at Roush Racing during the offseason, and it festered. We did a horrible job of losing. In other words, 1991 was just a black hole. It killed us. We showed a lot of immaturity as a team. I'll blame myself for that because it was just, it was just so heartbreaking to lose that darn thing. You know, we, we thought we had it. And then the other thing that happened was uh, at the end, Jack explained why we got the car. And it was something about a superior steering box that we wanted and all that. And it, it didn't have anything to do with the steering box. It was just, if you're going to take that guy's car, you're going to take that guy's engine. Junior Johnson wanted to know what happened with the team at Atlanta. And Dale Earnhardt? He was as masterful at mind games as anybody who ever stepped foot in a garage. You always got something to eat after you went through inspection at the restaurant there at Rockingham in the infield. We're sitting there eating, me and Rob, and Junior's a couple of tables over. Hey, why'd you run that other man's car? Like, oh, God. <laughs> and then Earnhardt. You know, Junior was way easier to talk to than Earnhardt about it. Man, you guys would have beat him. I'm just stop you know you yeah. you'll never know the whole thing and it's not important now we just got to whip you this year and we did a terrible job in 91 we're our hearts were just broken and we didn't let them heal quick enough the storm clouds began gathering early in 1991 at richmond in the spring where the team had won and lost one year earlier mark managed to salvage a sixth place finish but Jack Roush said after the race, we thought we might be able to adjust and make it better, but about halfway through, he gave up on it and didn't want us to adjust it. I guess he just didn't like the car. The implication was startling. Mark Martin gave up? That's one thing. 
But then to have Jack Roush call him out on it publicly, and it all boiled over at Atlanta, where Jack Roush was doing double duty between the NASCAR race weekend and the 24 hours of Sebring in Florida. Well, there was always a lot of turmoil at Atlanta in the spring because it coincided with Jack racing the 12 hours at Sebring. So poor old Jack, you know, he's got 100 balls in the air, and he comes watch us qualify on Friday and, and work with us. I mean, not just watch. He was a hand, for sure a hands-on guy, still is. But uh, he, he works his tail off on Friday and hauls butt to, to Sebring and worries about all that there and stays up till midnight and flies in, gets home, at, gets to land at the airport uh, hotel at 2 o'clock in the morning and didn't have a room, so he's beating on the door. I said, just... Come in with me. Just, just live with me, you know. And the next morning, Jack's exhausted and frustrated. The Atlanta race was delayed due to rain. And maybe that had something to do with the gloomy pall cast over the Roush Racing pits. After leading 21 laps, Mark had to pit due to a flat tire. Ryan Pemberton, crew chief Robin Pemberton's brother, accidentally left a wedge jack in the rear window of Mark's car as it began to leave pit road. It was a scene that must have seemed like something from the twilight zone. Jack Roush responded by grabbing Ryan's hair and then shoved him and then doubled down by grabbing Robin by the neck. This is Jack Roush we're talking about, who ordinarily comes across as a buttoned up and very proper businessman. Robin's brother left a a jack screw wrench in the in the hole and we had to come back in and robin's frustrated with nascar and you know they're right up there and robin's making all kinds of hand gestures to him and jack wants to be mad at robin because he thought robin was looking out for his brother and you know jack was very very careful about uh family things he, you know what i mean he didn't he he would fire his son as soon as he fired anybody and by god the rest of you guys are going to be like that too and we were, but at that point, Jack didn't realize that Robin was just mad about the situation, not about his brother being the guy. Heads were about to roll. And since Jack Roush was the team owner, it wasn't going to be his. Jack fired Robin and Ryan and a third Pemberton brother, Roman Pemberton, the day after. Robin, he was rehired shortly thereafter. And somehow, the team began to piece its season back together. Anyway, the next morning, Robin's fired, and it's all a mess, and Ryan's got to go home, and Robin couldn't even take his company car home. I had to drive him home, and he and I are friends since we're 12 years old, and I'm like, man, we'll fix this, Rob. Just please, everybody, just slow down, you know, and and then Jack got offended because I said, well, Jack went through a lot because of the Sebring thing, and he thought I had made him out to be a wimp because he couldn't go do a 12-hour race and not do one the next. So he's mad yeah. at me now, yeah. and I, I was just, I'm just explaining things, you know. I didn't get mad about anything. A week later, I found out he's super mad at me, you know, and I'm like, oh, man. You know, obviously, we don't know each other very well. Reporters, including my former boss, Steve Wade, and Mike Mulhern of the Winston-Salem Journal were all over the story. In Steve Mills' world, all the attention didn't help. There were just a number of things that always had you saying, man. You know, every time the phone rang, you're like, oh, my, what, how, what have I done? What I mean, now? I, I'm, I'm sitting here trying to do the best I can do, yeah. talking to people as straight as I can talk to them, and I'm in trouble again. And uh, what's his name, the 
Mulhern. You know, yeah, Mulhern just... Oh, uh, good old Mulhern. And I love him. I love Mike Mulhern. <laughs> but my God, he would catch on something and would not turn it loose. I'm like, Mike, please just stop. I mean, you're, you're ruining a race team here. You know, right. it was the internal strife right. was unbelievable in 91. Yeah. Slowly, Roush Racing began to claw its way out of the hole in 1991 and made its way to victory lane in the season finale at Atlanta. Of course, Mark Martin and Jack Roush were eventually enshrined in the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Mark finished second in the NASCAR standings three more times, but never by closer than the 26-point margin in 1990. Jack currently has two cup championships to his credit, the first coming in 2003 with Matt Kenseth, and the second the very next year with Kurt Busch. Could Mark Martin, Jack Roush, Steve Mill, and Roush Racing have captured the championship in 1990? It's a debate that will never go away. I really do hope that you have enjoyed this glorious, white-knuckle, God-fearing, spun-out, and half-turned-over racing story. I'll be back with another one next week. Share what you thought about this glorious, white-knuckled, God-fearing, spun-out, and half-turned-over racing story with us at Dirty Mo Media on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Glorious Racing Stories is a production of Dirty Mo Media, hosted by me, Rick Houston. This show is produced by Andrew Curland, executive producers Mike Davis and Jason Schultz. Artwork is by Sean Sin. Special thanks to Leah Vaughn. Broadcast audio is credited to MRN, ESPN, and CBS. Big Check out Dirty Mo Media on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Dirty Mo. You're going to do it. You're going to win it. You're going to win it.